Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermons Podcast. Today's sermon is brought to you by founding pastor Ken Warline and was recorded on Sunday, January 29th, 2023. And hey, if you're ever in the area, join us on Sunday on campus at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. and come say hi in person. You can also follow us on Instagram at, at FaithBridge to see what goes on during the week. And as always, you can join us every Sunday for our online service called FaithBridge Live at faithbridge.org live. Here's Ken. Well, good morning. Welcome in the live venue. Welcome in the communion venue. Welcome online. Really glad that you are here, however it is that you're here. And especially to those of you who canoed your way in here. Really do appreciate that. So we're in Acts chapter 3. Why don't you turn in your Bibles, Acts chapter 3. And if you need a Bible... Uh, you can uh, borrow one. The ushers are passing them out. Just wave at one of them. And um, while you're turning there, I'll tell you about a situation that happened in my life. Some years ago, I was having a hard time sleeping one night. And so I finally just got up and got a snack and went and turned on the TV and started looking at some different things and, and finally came upon a, a, a TV evangelist who was hooting, hollering, and preaching and a sermon that was pretty low on substance, but high on drama and flair. And so I found it interestingly, uh, you know, interesting enough. And, and so I decided, well, I'd watch a little bit. And, and towards the end, he flowed into a, uh, a time of healing prayer. And he, uh, he brought people up on the stage and he lined them up. And one by one, he would go and he would push them. And they would fall backwards with their eyes closed. And, and so down the line, he goes, just put, and there's people back there to catch them and lay them down. And, and then, uh, after a few of those, he, he started blowing. He went, I think signifying that either he was very full of the Holy spirit or had terrible halitosis and the people fell out, uh, just the same. And then almost seeming bored with that method, he took off his coat jacket and he started whirling it around and he knocked some more people over, uh, that way. And, and at the, at the end, I thought, wow, that was really something. And, but inside my spirit, there was a little check, uh, and you know, that just that feeling you're, is that real? And well, it's Providence would have it. Some years later, I had opportunity to, to actually be in a conversation with somebody who it comes out in the course of the conversation. He said, well, actually, I, I actually worked for such and such ministry. I'm like, really? I remember watching. I said, I got to ask you something. Is that real what's going on there? And, uh, or, or is that just mostly theatrics? He looked at me with a little bit of that sympathetic face that a parent looks at a child who begins to ask one too many questions about Santa Claus. And he, he says uh, to me, Ken, what you watched was as scripted and programmed as the wrestling matches that you can also watch on late night TV. He said, God could certainly break in, but he would pretty well have to shoehorn himself in uh, to get there. I wasn't surprised, but I was disappointed. Disappointed not because it was doing something to my faith, but disappointed because it was so unnecessary and so contaminates the purity of what we've been studying as we've been taking this journey going through the book of 
Acts. And seeing the freshness of the Holy Spirit come and the power of what God was doing in the original church. Let's just remind ourselves where we've been here since the turn of the new year. So Jesus was raised uh, to life and that shocks and floors everybody, but certainly the disciples, the apostles, who are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. What's your next act going to be? What's the sequel going to be? And Jesus says, in essence, you're going to be the sequel. And I'm going back to heaven, but that's good because when I go, then I can send my Holy Spirit and he's going to give you power from within. And the Holy Spirit came and we saw that two weeks ago. Pastor Dan took us through there in Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire. And then last week we see an evidence, another evidence of the Holy Spirit's arrival as Peter, the ever clunky, uh, awkward one who puts his foot in his mouth, all of a sudden stands up now and he preaches with power and persuasion and at the end of his sermon, 3,000 people say, I would like to be baptized. I want to become a Christian. And you can almost picture Peter and the, and the apostles going, are you kidding me? Oh, my gosh. This, Jesus wasn't kidding when he said the Holy Spirit was going to do new things and bring great power. We're seeing that. We're going to see it again today as we look at chapter 3. So with that set up, why don't we start reading chapter 3, verse 1. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter he asked them for money. By the way, let's stop there. I, I'm going to just tell you what my outline is today for those of you who like to take notes. Three things. I want to talk today about what happened in this text. What happened? I then want to talk about why did it happen. And then last, I want to talk about can it still happen today. So that's, that's where we're going. So, so what happened? Well, here we've already seen you have this <clears throat> man who was crippled from birth. You don't know that yet, but when you get to chapter 4, verse 22, Luke is actually going to tell us he was born this way. So he's never seen his toes wiggle. He's never been able to crawl or certainly to stand. Perhaps as, he, as a boy, he would gaze out his window as the other children were playing and uh, think to himself, I'd give anything if I could get up and do that too. But I imagine uh, by this point, now 40 years in, as a 40-year-old, those fantasies have faded long ago. Although I've wondered if maybe sometimes when he slept at night, maybe still the way our subconscious brains work, you know, maybe still sometimes he dreamt that he could walk and that he could run and that he could move around, but then he'd wake up and it was back to reality with all of the challenges. Now, as I was studying this passage, considering the realities of, of a world that uh, was pre-ADA, there was no wheelchair ramps, there was no 
uh, modified facilities and government aid, and disabled people couldn't even go into the temple courts because they were considered you know, unclean and all these sorts of things. So, they, so he's, always, he's never even been able to go inside. And um, I've found it interesting that even though physically challenged, he wasn't mentally challenged. You know, he's pretty strategic, figured if I'm going to give, get handouts, the best place to get them is outside the temple when people are going in. And so he would position himself there knowing that Jewish people were supposed to give alms to the poor. And so uh, <clears throat> you can just visualize him having learned how on outstretched arms with hands flat to the ground, he, he surely had learned since a child to how to scoot his body along and he would position himself by this gate called beautiful outside the temple. And there he sits alone collecting uh, the coins that people might toss his way. Now, before we go any further, I want to share with you something that I felt like the Lord showed me this week, and I think he might show it to you. But it could be easy for us to read a passage like this and then to sort of discount it and think, well, how many people do I, I mean, yes, at the intersection of 1960 or, you know, Spring Cypress and 249, I see people a little bit like this maybe. But the Lord said, no, 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 I want you to notice there's, there's many ways that people get paralyzed. There's plenty of people who are paralyzed, not physically maybe, but they're paralyzed emotionally, locked up in depression or anxiety, or maybe in their relational abilities. They're, they're, they're parent, they just, they, they, they have the hardest time entering and maintaining meaningful relationships. Or maybe in marriage, maybe some of you are in marriages that feel disabled and sometimes to such a point of heaviness that it, it feels utterly hopeless. Or even vocationally with work. So maybe you feel paralyzed in, inside your job, trapped. I can't get out because I need the money, but it's, it's a terrible place. Or maybe you did get, get out, but now you, if you feel paralyzed out. You can't find a way to get back in and you need a job. And so there's all sorts of paralyses that are going on around us, certainly physical ones, and I'm not uh, minimizing those. But I just felt like the Lord said, open your eyes and you'll see there's actually a lot of people who are sort of frozen themselves. Let's move on. So what do we see in verse four? Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter says something that you wouldn't have expected and the man certainly wouldn't have expected. He says, look at us. Which begs the question, why did he say, look at us? I bet that the man who was the beggar uh, and disabled, he probably hadn't had anybody say, look at him, in years. 
Why? Because, well, you know, probably if you're a thing like I am, sometimes when you are at an intersection like that and you, 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 somebody's walking up towards your window and you're sort of doing this little thing, and you're like, well, maybe I'll give, some, I don't know. And, and so you, it's awkward to look and you don't look so much. And, and sometimes maybe he just is like, you know, I'll just do us a favor. I won't look. Here's the can. If you drop something in, I'll make it easy on you. And, you know, it, it's, it won't feel great to either of us, but it would help if you would. So Peter and John, they come by and Peter says, look at us. Why look at us? Well, I, perhaps at least two reasons. For one, I think Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, knew this man needed to know, sir, you're valuable. You've been told you're trash, but you're not trash. God doesn't make trash. He made you. And you're valuable. You know how in Psalm 3, 3 it says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head. It's the picture of the Lord sort of lifting our head, saying, hey, look at me. And it's as if Peter and John are saying, hey, sir, look, look at us. You're valuable. Perhaps he also said it for a second reason. Perhaps Peter and John were just simply trying to identify and say, hey, <laughs> sir, look at us. We've been following Jesus for three years. We're poor too. We haven't had a solid job for three years. We haven't got to do much fishing at all. And the clothes that you see, these are not the most current model, if you didn't notice. Maybe he was trying to just normalize a, a little bit. Say, hey, we got our problems too. But for whatever reason, he says, look at us. So the man, verse 5 says, he gives them his attention, expecting to get something from them. And that's when Peter says the great words in verse uh, 6. Silver and gold, have we none? We don't have any silver and gold for you. But what I do have in the name of Jesus, I'm giving you. Rise up and walk. And taking him by the right hand, he reaches down, Peter does, and he just pulls him up. And this is what's really interesting. You wouldn't know it from reading it in the English, but in the original language, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting. And that is, do you remember what Luke's vocation was before uh, he, he became uh, this investigative journalist who's writing his gospel and then the book of Acts? Do you remember what his profession was? He was a doctor. And the interesting thing about the writing that he does in the original language is that he uses medical terms. It would be so, and doctors, you'll appreciate this, uh, it would be as if he wrote uh, in today's uh, terms, and then the, 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 pers the, the man's metatarsal went into the, whatever the ankle bone is officially called. He, he's describing it using the medical terms. It's like Luke is like, okay, I see what's happening. This is really interesting. It's like it's slotted in for the first time, he's saying. And then he went with them to the temple courts, or taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. That's where he's saying it, uh, as I just described. Then the man went with them in the temple courts, hadn't been there before, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him, the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement <clears throat> at what had happened to him. Of course they were. 
<clears throat> this kind of miracle will capture a person's attention. And verse 11, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Now, that's what happened. But I want to do a little double click and, and I want us to answer this question. Why did it happen? <clears throat> Why did God do it this way? I, I think at least two reasons. First, there was an evangelistic reason. Uh, the, well, you see it. Look at, look at what happens. Uh, the, the unbelievers are, are going to come and they're going to be captured by this. What happened last week? We saw Peter, who's never said anything particularly profound. He's preached with power and he's fixing to do it again. Look at verse 11. He's not going to waste the uh, squander this moment. He, he, he has the crowd again. And so what does he say? While the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished, came running to Solomon's colonnade, colonnade, verse 12. Then Peter saw this. When Peter saw this, he said, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us? As if by our own power or godliness, we made this man walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, the God of your fathers has glorified his servant Jesus uh, you handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that the murderer might be released to you. Remember Barabbas? You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we're witnesses of this. And by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong, and it's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that is completely healed him as you all can see what's he doing he's he's preaching he's saying hey power is not us we're just instruments the power is from him his holy spirit's come just as he promised and i think that leads to the second reason uh you know why did this happen i think the holy spirit saw fit to um not only give the spiritual power uh, to Peter and John and the early apostles and the Christians, but the, in so doing, he was giving them a confidence, an inner assurance that what he had said was true. And it was now happening. What had he said? Acts 1.8, where we started a month ago. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. What that word is in the, in the original language is dunamis, from which we get the word dynamite. So Jesus has said, you're going to have dynamite from his spirit when he comes. We're seeing confirmation. Oh, the dynamite has come. John, uh, let's just jump to John 16, 24. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you'll receive and your joy will be complete. John uh, records what Jesus had been saying when he was explaining the Holy Spirit and his eventual uh, coming sometime before to the apostles. So we've talked about what happened, several reasons why it was happening. But now the question that you're probably wondering is can it happen still? Can it still happen today? 
And by that, I do not mean anything of the sort like I was watching on the TV that night. That's goofy and, and silly. I'm not talking about that at all. I'm talking, can God and does God still do healings today? Real, earthy, not splashy and all of that drama. Yes, but I think we need to be careful to, uh, to, to not try to pigeonhole God and formulize here's how it will happen and here's how it always happens because you can't even do that with Jesus and his ministry. I think of several ways, I think four, that we, that we saw Jesus in his ministry do healings. I think of uh, an instance or two where he was dealing with a man who had leprosy. And what did he do? He touches. Of course he touched them. Because they needed touch. Nobody touched them with their sick bodies and that skin disease. And they were called unclean and kept away. And so he heals and he touches them. and says, you're healed. Another instance or two, he he just looks at them and says, you're healed. But he doesn't touch them. In another instance, he coughs up a loogie, spits it on the ground, reaches down, makes some mud. Kind of graphic, but it's like, you know, well, you don't forget it. And then he, he puts it into the, to the blind person's eyes and says, now go and wash. And, and what happens? Healing comes. And that, was, that was a unique one. Or I think of at least three instances where people like a father or a master of a servant came long distance and talked about this person, would you come and heal? And Jesus says, in essence, I don't even need you to go. You just go, he's healed, she's healed. So you can't even pigeonhole, you, you can't say this is how Jesus did it every time. So far be it from us to try to formulate. here's how it's going to happen if God's going to do healings today. You, you cannot constrain him to just one size fits all. Sometimes he, he, he intervenes in miraculous ways. I was thinking even of, of Sully, who told the story here several years ago, uh, um, who he had torn his ACL and uh, playing basketball. And he went to the doctor and the doctor said, oh, I have terrible news. You've torn your ACL. And so we'll have to do the surgery and, and, and it'll take six months and you'll recover and blah, blah, blah. So he was at the staff meeting that week and he tells that to us in our prayer time. And so we gather around him and say, well, let's just pray for you. We just ask God, would you please heal it. And so Sully would tell the story then of how he, he went a day or two later and he goes to get the MRI and they come in and they say, your ACL's not torn, not at all. You're going to be just fine. And so he, he walked out and it was like, wow, look at that. So how do you explain that? We just say, well, God answered. That's a way that he just sort of touched Sully before the doctors could even get to him. On the other hand, I think of how he touched me through the doctors. I tell people shamelessly, I've been saved by three Jewish men. Jesus Christ saved my soul and Dr. Dobbs and Dr. Solomon saved my body. How, how did that happen? 
Dr. Dobbs was my GI doctor who I had sent a text saying, I got some terrible GERD. Just drive me crazy. I've had it for three or four weeks. And could I come in and get a scope from you? And he texts back within a minute and says, yes, why don't you come right now? And he does intake and pretty quickly ascertains, you may have some GERD issues, but the real question I've got is if you've got cardiological issues. Within an hour, he had sent me over to his friend, Dr. Solomon, the cardiologist whom I'd never met. And within another hour or two, I'd gotten on that treadmill and failed that treadmill test, gotten off, and he had said, we've got to get you into the cath lab immediately. You are getting ready to have a massive coronary. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. 99.9% blocked it was, but he got there in time and God intervened. And this past Monday, I went and saw Dr. Solomon for my eight-year checkup and did great on the treadmill. He said it's normal. And I say, praise the Lord. He, you, yeah, amen. Praise the Lord. And he used the doctors in that instance. He used the hospital and the cath lab and the medication. And, and people say, do you believe in medication? I say, I, I, have, I live on it. And I am grateful for it. And I take my baby aspirin and my Valsartan and all this sort of stuff. <clears throat> and, and people say, wouldn't you throw it away? No, that's the silliest, goofiest thing. I praise the Lord that those things are available in this day and age. So he uses, God sometimes uses physicians and surgeons and hospitals and, and uh, medications and physical therapists. And he uses emotional therapists and relational therapists. And, and he'll, he can use anything he wants. Sometimes he'll just reach down and touch and he doesn't need any of those things. But we're not going to confine him or shoehorn him into here's one size fits all. That's how you have to do it every time. But I bet that some of you are wondering the question that inevitably comes up when you talk about this subject. And that is, what about when the healing doesn't come? What about that? Well, we should talk about that momentarily. Um, because the reality is, that day does come sooner or later for all of us when we don't get the healing on this side that we were wanting. And that is our final day. And that day comes for 100%. We're not getting out here alive. Not a one of us. You can check the odds, the statistics. It's not a matter of if, it's just a matter of when. So we know that that means that any healings that happen in this life are borrowed from eternity. It's as if God sometimes in his sovereignty and graciousness and for his purposes, he reaches forward into heaven and pulls back a little bit of heaven into the presence and gives us a foretaste of heaven. And we get healed of whatever that was. And there's five years or 10 years or 15 or 20 more added to our life, but we won't go a thousand. We know that. And so all healings are temporal. Why does he heal this person and not that person? We don't get to know that. But we do know that he has his purposes and his plans and that he's always using stories 
of people to draw others into a deeper faith who get to see and hear stories like that as you have perhaps seen and heard of other people or maybe you are such a person who has such a story. So we praise the Lord when those things happen. But we also remember that ultimately the healing that you and I need is eternal healing of our souls. And for this, we have the gospel. And what's the gospel? What's the good news? The good news is that God in his graciousness saw fit not to let us die in our sins, but came sending his son into the world to live the life of sinless perfection that we couldn't live so that he could die the death of punishment that we deserve so that he could conquer the grave. We would never conquer, giving us life abundant and life eternal. That's the good news that we cling to. That is the eternal healing that we know. And that is what assures us of our heavenly body. Because as Paul said, our flesh is wasting away on this. Now, sometimes he, he gives us extra time and he, he pulls some of eternity into the present. And we praise the Lord when those sort of circumstances happen. And we ask him for those circumstances to happen. But we don't despair when they don't happen. And we certainly don't burden people down with guilt, which does concern me that sometimes I see happening where there are Christians who say to the person who didn't get healed or to a loved one whose loved one's gone now, you didn't get healed. Why didn't we get healed? Well, they say, you didn't have enough faith. Now, that's a terrible, damnable thing to tell somebody. You didn't have enough faith. Anybody who, who ascribes to that kind of doctrine hasn't studied Scripture. Just go back and look at the life of Paul. Who wants to tell Paul, you didn't have enough faith, Paul? Because you remember, Paul had an infirmity. He had something for which he had asked healing, but three times he says, I pleaded with the Lord to take this thorn from, we don't know what the thorn was. Maybe some think it was his eyes and he was kind of blind and he couldn't see. We don't know. But, but he said, three times I said, Lord, would you heal me, heal me, heal me? But the Lord said, no, I'm not going to heal you, not, not from this one. But I'm going to give you my all-sufficient grace because my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. And you want to tell Paul, well, I guess you just have enough faith. No, that's goofy. So, so are we called to have faith? Yes, we're called to have faith. But we're called to have faith that God is sovereign and working his plans together for the good of those who love him. We don't get to control that. Or if you need another example, look at, at uh, somebody like Johnny Erickson Tada. I was just thinking of her. Some of you have not heard her story, but it's quite a, a touching story. She was in a diving accident as a teenager and became a quadriplegic. This is more than 50 years ago. But she's become quite, quite famous over the years and written books and, and appeared on uh, platforms all around the world. And, and I, I remember watching her on Larry King live years ago in an interview. And, and, and God's used her life to impact so many people. She writes herself, Johnny does, uh, even when she was uh, early on in the process of being a, a quadriplegic. She said, I, I was praying and fully believing that God would heal me. 
I even, I certainly believed I was calling up my girlfriends and saying, next time you see me, I'm going to be running up to your sidewalk and God's going to heal me. And yet Johnny is still in a wheelchair today. He hasn't healed her. But she writes, God may remove your suffering. And if he does, that'll be cause for great praise. But if he doesn't, he will use it. And so let God mold you and make you and transform you from glory to glory. That's the deeper healing. And so I think we want to steer clear of any of the extremists who say, well, God doesn't heal today anymore. Or the other extreme that says, oh, God heals every single time, especially if you do it my way. And if you don't get healing, it's just because you didn't have enough faith. Now, God refuses to be put into either of those boxes. As I heard one preacher say, he's Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals, and he's Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides, but he's not Jehovah Genie, and so we got to be careful <laughs> that we don't try to headlock God as if we've got a leash around his neck. I think our posture is... Uh, best describe the way that we see that man who had leprosy that came to Jesus in Matthew 8 verse 2. There's a man who came and knelt before him and, and <clears throat> he said, Lord, if you're willing, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And in that instance, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, I am willing. In this instance, it is my will. And he healed them. So, can it still happen today? Oh, yes. A thousand times, yes. I've seen it happen so very many times. Even here in this church, people that we've prayed for who had cancer issues or other cardiological issues or infertility issues, certainly emotional issues and relational issues and marital issues. All the different type of, uh, we've prayed and we've seen God do miracles. But whenever I think about healing, I always go back to the first instance that I really got serious about learning something along the lines of this subject. It was when I was in seminary, Pastor Dan and I were in seminary together, and I took a course called Healing in the Christian Tradition. And it was a really interesting course, and probably some of what I've said today uh, got into me even while I was taking that course decades ago. But in one uh, instance particularly uh, noteworthy, the professor of the class invited a retired professor to come and lecture to us that evening. And this was the retired professor, the, the, the man who had once taught the class every semester uh, back when he was an active professor. So, well, this would be interesting. So he comes in and he gives the lecture and I'm taking notes. Oh, that's a good point. That's interesting. Oh, that's an interesting story. And, and then uh, almost uh, as if he was uh, just sort of distracted, he, he said, you know, I just have this sense in my soul. There's somebody in this classroom who is in terrible pain and it's your back and you have terrible back pain. And I thought to myself, oh boy, here we go. This is going to be interesting. And <clears throat> so I sat back and I'm looking around. And finally, this lady named Linda sheepishly raises her hand. 
Now, I know Linda and her husband, Hugh, cute couple. They're from Mississippi or Atlanta. They always walked around campus hand in hand. He's going to be a pastor, and she was studying to be a counselor, I think. And, and they're just the sweetest people. And I said, Linda, I didn't know you had back pain. And do you really want to raise your hand? We don't know what's fixing to happen. You know, and, and so she, she raises her hand, and the, and the professor said, I just had a feeling. What's wrong with you? And she says, I have terrible back pain. Every morning, my husband, Hugh, he has to uh, rub it down with the icy hot or whatever. I don't know. And it's about a 20-minute process to get me out of bed. And all day long, it hurts. And at night, it hurts. And then we get up and do it again the next morning. I was like, I didn't know that. You don't wear it on your face. And the professor says, well, come here. And he puts a chair in the middle and he says, students, I want you to come over and we're all just going to put our hands on Linda and I'll lead us in prayer. And he prayed for her. And afterwards he says, amen. And I looked up and I was like, well, it's a little fast. So I didn't really say that, but that's what I was thinking. So we went back and heard the rest of the lecture and the class was dismissed. Well, several days later, I did see her going through the campus um, in a hallway. And, and, and they said, Linda, yes, Ken, I got to ask you something. What happened the other night in that little healing thing? She said, I don't know, but I'm going to tell you something. The last three days since that class, I have bounded out of bed every morning, no pain, no rigmarole, gone through the whole day full of energy, even into the night. I don't know how to explain it other than everything that you saw. I'm like, really? Huh, I'll get back to you. And so <laughs> sometime later, I remember uh, several months or so, I, I saw Hugh and Linda in the library and I go running over to them. I said, hey, Linda, how's that, how's that back thing? She said, it remains great. Really? She's like, yep. I don't know how to explain it, Ken, other than you, you were in the room. He just prayed and God healed me. I'm like, how about that? Several years later, we were back as graduates and I think attending a conference and I see Hugh and Linda walking across the, the campus and I make a beeline, you know, <laughs> and they see me coming and they start laughing. They put their heads back. They start, they knew what I, hi kid. she says, I bet I know what you're wondering. And the answer is, it's still great. <laughs> and I don't know how to explain it, but that God healed me. Can he still do it today? Yes. He absolutely still can. And that's why James, the half-brother of Jesus, said, you should pray for it. 5.13, is any among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anybody sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so let me tell you what we're going to do in our final minutes. We're going to have a time of healing prayer. And I can assure you, we're not going to be pushing anybody over or whirling any jackets. There's no drama. There's no flair. Uh, there's no pre anything other than that I know 
who the prayer partners are that are going to come forward in both rooms. And we have some extra prayer partners online. If you're wanting to chat in and pray that way, they want to pray with you as well. And we're just going to ask God, would you do what only you can do? And we'll just leave that in God's hands. And meanwhile, in both rooms, uh, we'll be leading, they'll be leading us in singing and we can just continue to uh, worship. And um, we'll just ask God, would you show up? And also, let me mention this. Because sometimes a person is sitting in a service like this, especially when it was rainy and not everybody got here who maybe would have gotten here. And you're thinking, oh, I wish that such and such had been here today. This is their moment. You know what? Why don't you come in their behalf? And we'll just put hands on you and we'll pray over them by proxy. You say, does it work that way? I don't know. But I think so. I think that's not too confusing for the Lord. And so we'll just trust that he could even work that way. Let me pray for us now. And then we'll invite you to come forward. Lord, would you come? Would you work by the power of your Holy Spirit? Would you continue to show us your power, your work, the transformation that you and you alone can do? We'll give you the glory and the praise for it. And um, so just come now, Holy Spirit, and join us. We're asking for your healing in physical ways, emotional ways, spiritual ways, relational ways, vocational ways, any way that it is that we're locked up. Would you free us? Do healing in Jesus' name. Amen.